Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. We're going to do things a little out of order this, this week. A lot of times we have our quarterly reports um, meeting first, but I'd like to share a few words, um, have a devotional first from Psalm 133. If you're like me, you've probably heard different verses quoted from different times, and and they're very familiar to you. You know, we have very famous verses that are quoted quite frequently. Uh, for example, John 3.16. It's a very famous verse that children learn from a young age. And it's interesting because then as you grow or as you learn more about the Bible, hopefully you learn about the context. And I hope all of you know that John 3.16 isn't just a verse all by itself, but that it's in the middle of a wonderful and beautiful conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. And that's one example of a famous verse, and most people do eventually learn the context of that verse. So what was going on around that verse? But if you're like me, sometimes you've heard a verse your whole life, and then you're doing your Bible reading, and you're reading along, and, and, and sometimes in the Psalms or in, in the prophets, and you're not really sure what's going on. You're not really understanding all that you're reading. And a lot of it's going over your head. And then all of a sudden, there's this verse that is really familiar to you that you read. Am I the only one that that ever happens to? Nope, there's more of you. It happens to, I think, all of us. We hear famous verses quoted or cited or even preached on, and we don't always know the context of it. Well, there is a famous verse in Psalm 133 that I think many people hear, and at least in my lifetime, it has been quoted over and over. Maybe it was quoted in my life, and maybe the reason why it's so familiar to me is because I'm the fifth of ten kids, and it was quoted a lot when I was a kid. But I wonder if this famous verse is familiar to you. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Now do you see why I probably heard that verse a lot growing up, the fifth of ten kids? Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. And um, I've heard that verse um, um, much, much of my life and familiar with it. I've even, I've even used it some um, in my own family and life. And, um, and you know, I've, I've read the book of Psalms in my life many, 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 many times. And I've never really taken the time to stop and to look at the whole Psalm. I read the first verse, and there's that, there's that famous verse. That, that's that verse I heard all the time as a kid. There it is. And, and I hadn't really reading over this psalm over and over and over, not taking time to understand it. And I purposed to do that um, recently, and, um, and then I started scratching my head. Like, huh? Let's read this psalm. The famous verse, perhaps you can even quote it. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, and went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life 
forevermore. Now, if you were paying attention, you probably are scratching your head. Like, the first verse, check, makes sense. It's like the precious ointment upon the head? Huh? That ran down upon the beard? I don't even have a beard. Huh? Even Aaron's beard? And went down to the skirts of his garments? I, 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 I want to have a raise of hand, but I, I wonder how many of us have a clue what's being talked about. Good, I see some hands. Good. And now, how... How does that have to do with brethren dwelling together in unity? Now, here's something that I am tempted to do often, and it is to just keep going. Next psalm. But it's important, I think, for us to stop and see what does this mean. For it tells us here, it declares a statement, verse 1, Behold! What's that mean? Look, pay attention, look, listen up. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I think we all know what that means. It's really, truly something we have seen and witnessed, and it's a good thing. It's good and pleasant. But here it says that it is as the precious ointment, and it is as the dew. Is there any significance to that? Well, I recently had a situation in which I was advising a family. And, um, you know, sometimes pastors are put in this weird situation where they're supposed to be doctor, pastor, lawyer, financial advisor, and he's not really any of those things. So I called up an attorney and I said, I got a question for you. And I explained the situation, and, and the first thing he said was, well, you do know how good and how pleasant it is when brethren do well together in unity. And I said, of course, this is great lawyer. He's starting to use the Bible to start with the whole thing. And he says, that's your only problem. <laughs> so, so he basically said, it ain't a legal thing. It's a preacher thing. <laughs> Go preach at him was basically his, his, um, his, his, his principle in the situation. And actually, he was right. But actually, he then kind of preached a little sermon to me and explained how he understood particularly the question of the do of Hermon and the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. And um, I was very fascinated as he explained it to me, and I thought I'd pass it on and share it with you. Hermon is a mountain. It's the biggest mountain in Israel, way far north. Oftentimes, the mountains in Israel are more so like the little tiny foothill mountains in California. They're not very big. Uh, most of them are not very big. But Mount Hermon is one of those bigger mountains, not like the Rockies, but it's a bigger mountain. Zion is one of those smaller mountains, one of those you might even call them foothill mountains, kind of like the mountains you might find, not even as big as the mountains in, in Virginia. Um, they're, they're small little mountains. And, but Hermon's a big one. And here it says that it's good and pleasant for brethren to dwell together in unity. And for a moment, we're going to skip the precious ointment and skip to the dew part. And it says that it is as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. What's dew? Think about dew. Some of us um, maybe find dew irritating. It gets our shoes wet in the morning. But dew is very refreshing. 
and needful, especially in places where it is dry and where it is hot. And much of the land of Israel is just that, dry and hot. And dew is very important. How is dew formed? Well, dew is when the cold air comes down and it hits the warm soil, the warm grass, the warm surface, and then the water condensates, forming the droplets of dew. Now, this is being used as an illustration of brethren dwelling together in unity. Think about, again, how dew is formed. Cold air meeting with hot surface. And does it result in what? Dew. Pleasant, refreshing dew. Now, when I first was looking at this, I was talking to my wife, and I kept using the phrase, what happens when cold air and hot air mix? And she goes, thunderstorms. <laughs> and so, <laughs> that, that doesn't work. But what happens when the cold air connects with, comes together with the warm surface, a surface that's warm. It results in a dew. And it's interesting because oftentimes what causes disunity is opposing viewpoints, right? Disagreement. Hot and cold, right? You ever, you ever been in a conversation, hot and cold? And um, sometimes it's like the hot air, and it comes together, and it's thunderstorms, boom, 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 boom. But when there is a proper perspective, opposing viewpoints, opposing opinions, when they can meet, it can result as do. Good and pleasant do. And that is a beautiful picture. In fact, in reading of the, the topography and the geographic region of this with Mount Hermon, what actually happens every night in much of the region is the high mountain of Mount Hermon up north is there. And you know the air up there is cold, and it's oftentimes snow-capped. Most of the year, it's, Mount Hermon is snow-capped. And what happens every night, for the most part, the wind brings that cold air flying over the top of Mount Hermon and brings it down the slopes of Mount Hermon. And as, the, as it continues down, the ground actually, as it further goes south, gets warmer and warmer. And that cold air is coming down, leaving dew all along its way. And throughout the night, that wind blows over Mount Hermon, south, down through, down over Galilee, layering Galilee with a precious good and pleasant dew, all the way down to the mountains of Judea, to Mount Zion, leaving the good and pleasant do. And God says, the psalmist here in this, which this is said to be a song of degree, meaning this was a song that the Jews would sing as they climbed up to Jerusalem at one of the feasts. People that came from Mount Hermon, people that came. This is a song of people coming together from the north and from the south and from the entire country and as time went by from the entire world, coming together in to Jerusalem. And it's a declaration here, just as that wind comes from Mount Zion and cloaks the land of Galilee and the mountains of Judea all the way down to the Dead Sea and to the sea at the south. The cold air hitting the warm soil 
results in the, in the, in the good and pleasant do. And the psalmist is saying, this is the way it is when brethren dwell in unity. And I think it's an interesting observation that it's the hot and the cold. And so, how does this happen? Well, if you look there at the end, for there, the Mount Zion, the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. I think that the phrase of verse 1, the, the, the declaration of verse 1, is intimately tied in with this declaration of blessing in the end. Do you see it? What is the blessing at the end? And why would the blessing of the Lord that is commanded in the very end of this, this song be tied in with the brethren dwelling in unity? Do you see it speaks of life forevermore? Now, in your mind, go back to the last hot air, cold ground. Or, I'm sorry, cold air, hot ground. The last time there was that opposing, that disagreement, that may have resulted in pleasant dew or may have resulted in thunderstorms. If the perspective of eternity had been recalled, how would it have changed? Think about your situations. Your situations in which there are hot and cold or different, different perspectives coming together. And whether it was unity or trouble, how would the knowledge of the commanded blessing of life forevermore change the situation? It totally changes it, doesn't it? When, when we have a view, when we have a viewpoint, whatever it is, um, and, and just as a note, I'm not talking about truth. Truth is absolute, and disagreements on truth is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about those things that are like opinion or perspectives that are not tied specifically to truth or principle. When the perspective, well, actually, the truth of the matter is when truth is tied to eternity, it still makes a difference there, too. But um, when there's disagreements over what is truth, there's still also value here too. But in those, in those temporal matters, when we look and we see and we keep eternity in perspective, do you see how that would result in the pleasant and good, refreshing do? Back to the story of the attorney. He, he shared this perspective with me and, and he shared with me of... Um, of how that, that comes together. And often when we look to things and problems and we encourage ourselves and the people we're involved in helping to, to look beyond the problem or to rise above the problem and to view the matter from eternity's perspective, that's when unity can come. And it's interesting because in some situations, when it involves truth, truth needs to win, so, so to speak. Truth needs to reign supreme. But when it's matters of, of opinion or preference or even sometimes perspective, um, it doesn't matter in the light of eternity. And it also, and the attorney's advice to me was, is that it's not about changing the other person's opinion. You don't have to change the other person's opinion. 
There's still the hot and there's still the cold. But when they meet, when they meet, is it good and pleasant? Is it a unity when they meet? It doesn't mean that the perspectives or the opinions change. But when they come together, is there unity? That's an important truth for us to understand because sometimes we get this idea of there is, I'm right, they're wrong, and they have to agree with me for it all to work out. Well, if, if, if it's ultimately about the truth of God's word, then it's that whatever God says is what wins out. But if they're matters of opinion, like, you know, what color to paint the bathroom, you know, I, I don't know what it is. There's little ones and there's big ones that are opinions where there's not necessarily a principle or a truth of Scripture at, at, at question. You don't have to change your opinion, you know? I, I, may, I may want to paint the bathroom gray and my wife may want to paint it pink. <laughs> she wouldn't, but anyway. Um, but in this point is, is that the truth of the matter is, it doesn't really matter. Yes, it doesn't really matter. And in that case, I don't have to change my opinion, and she didn't have to change her opinion. We do have to come to a conclusion and a plan, but yet I, we can still live in unity, right? We can still live in peace. We can still have good and pleasant unity like the dew of Mount Hermon that descends all the way to Mount Zion. But that happens. How does that happen? How does that happen? How does that happen? Does that happen by suppressing my opinion and feelings? No. It comes by having a perspective of eternity and communicating together with the goal of unity for eternity. That's, that's, that's the goal. Now, what's it have to do with Aaron? I'm still figuring that one out. But it is interesting just to give you the history of this. I have some ideas, but I'm not settled in them yet. Um, the, the, what's speaking here is, is the anointing of Aaron as the high priest of Israel. And right now, what's intriguing to me on that question is what was the significance of that to the people? So at the ordination of the high priest, he would be taken and he would be arrayed in the glory garments of the high priest with the crown and with the, with the, the, the um, breastplate with the precious stones and the royal glory garments of interwoven with gold thread and all. And he would put those things on and then they would come and they would anoint him. They would pour oil on his head and the oil would come down and it would drip down his beard and it would drip down and it would cover him, which is horrific to think of if you're the person who designed to put together that glory garment. But I'm not done. After they actually anointed him with oil and the oil dripped all the way down through his clothing, they then sacrificed a lamb and took the lamb's blood and sprinkled him from head to toe with that blood, setting Aaron apart as a, as a representative of the people before God. He bore the people upon his shoulders as he would enter into the, and do the work in the office of the high priest. Um, and there's a lot of significance to that. And one of the elements of it that I, the, the, the application of how it's tied here to the unity, I think has to do with, with the unity that is brought about by having that access to God. That anointing of the oil, the sprinkling of his garments, made it possible that he would be the only one able to actually enter into the holy of holies and live. And, and the, the, this anointing, was the required step 
to allow for him to be sanctified, set apart in doing this. And that thing to us is virtually whatever. It shouldn't be because Jesus Christ is ultimately the one who is the one who with his own blood was sprinkled to enter into the Holy of Holies on our behalf, removing that veil. But is, is this here in a tie together of unity? Is it speaking of that, that unity that can come between man and God? And that anointing is that first symbolism of bringing there. Another perspective that is tied to it that is very significant to us as Christians is that oil, a lot of times in the Bible, is a type. It is used oftentimes parallel to the Spirit of God. And so another part of all of this unity is the need for the Spirit of God in our lives. Whether or not that's what Psalm 133 is teaching, I can't say, because it doesn't say it says that. You have to be careful with types. Um, but we, I can declare to you from other scriptures that the Spirit of God in our lives is key and vital to us to be able to be dwelling together in unity. And so Psalm 133, I hope that it will make more sense to you the next time you're reading through the Psalms as you read this and you first know what Mount Hermon is and Zion and um, how it fits together with good and pleasantness of unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. As the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And so as we are living this life, let us not forget the blessing commanded of life forevermore. Have you received it? And do you live in it? day by day. The next time that you start to feel or to see the hot air and the cold air mixing and you feel the thunderstorm coming on, yield to the Spirit, fly above it, and view it from the perspective of life forevermore. View it in the perspective of eternity. How good and how pleasant life can be when we live life from that perspective. Gracious God, we bow to you, we pray to you. We are but frail people, and we need you urgently and desperately. So often we have thoughts, so often we have opinions, so often we are tempted to have conflict, and so often we miserably fail in dealing with that temptation. Lord, I pray that you would help us as your people to abide in your spirit, that your spirit would abide in us and not be quenched to bring forth peace. Lord, I pray that day by day, moment by moment, in whatever circumstance, whatever circumstance, we would live in light of eternity, we would live in light of your commanded blessing of life forevermore. Lord, that is our hope. That is, life is empty without 
the hope of everlasting life, of peace in you. And so may we live in that reality moment by moment and day by day for your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen.